Thank you for listening to Quest Church San Diego. If you would like to know more about us, please visit us online at questsd.com. Again, that's questsd.com. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus, please email us at info at questsd.com. Thank you for listening. privilege it is to look at God's Word this morning. We are going to continue our study uh, through 2 Corinthians. Uh, if you have been with us or around the church recently, you know at the beginning of the year we started a series through Paul's letters to the church in Corinth. And we wrapped up the series in 1 Corinthians uh, just after Easter, and uh, we jumped into 2 Corinthians. And you can go on our website and uh, listen to all the messages or our podcast. but uh, on our website we have sermon notes, we have chapter overviews, we have study guides and questions for you to dig deeper as well. So a lot of information, a lot of ways that you can enhance our Bible studies on Sunday mornings. In fact, we're going through Corinthians in our small groups as well. And uh, so uh, those are our life groups. You can see where they're at um, online as well, or visit the bookstore and get in any information that you need. Uh, but uh, last week we looked at this theme of the fragrance of Christ. Paul uses this phrase in chapter two to talk about how our lives uh, are a sweet aroma to the Lord when he uses us and when we serve him, we're filled with the Lord, and that Christ is diffused through the lives God uses. Uh, But uh, in chapter one, we also saw the comfort of God. And I love that because in 2 Corinthians, unlike any of Paul's other letters in all the New Testament, He pulls the veil, so to speak, back on his life and on his ministry, and he is more vulnerable in any of his other letters in this letter. And uh, he talks about his weaknesses and his fears and his spiritual anxieties in ministry and the strength and the sufficiency of Christ. Uh, But he also needs to defend himself, unfortunately, against those in his absence who were in the church in Corinth who were basically attacking his character and uh, attacking the nature of his ministry. And so uh, he is going to speak to that, particularly in this chapter, but he talks about the comfort of God, that God's sympathies or his consolation or his comfort are certain in all of our suffering and all of our uh, miseries and and pain and discomfort. And uh, I love the word that Paul uses for comfort in chapter one. It means to draw near. It means that God sits down in our mess. He, he sits down in the broken pieces of our lives and he mends us and he fixes us and he puts us back together. Well, in chapter three, what we're going to look at today is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit and uh, the life-giving Spirit. In fact, there's some very famous passages. I just love this chapter. It's such a wonderful chapter. We could spend a lot of time in it. I would encourage you to read it throughout the week and just meditate on it. But in chapter three, we read about how where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom and there is liberty because uh, Paul's going to talk about two different covenants in this chapter. He's going to talk about the old covenant through the letter of the law that was written by the finger of God on stone and tablets with Moses' ministry in the wilderness up on the top of Mount Sinai. But he's also going to contrast that with the new covenant, the gospel of grace through Christ, and how uh, this gospel has been written not with ink, but with the Spirit of God in our lives. And so the point for us to remember today, as we read and study this chapter, is that the Holy Spirit authors God's glory in our story. 
In fact, Paul's going to use this phrase by saying that we are actually the epistles of Christ. And the word epistle means letter. And so uh, people are reading our lives as Christ followers. What messages are we giving to other people as a follower of Jesus Christ? And so the glory of God is written in our lives, not through ink, but through the Spirit of God as God is developing and writing our stories. And we're going to see this in a couple of ways. Very simple outline. You can jot these down on the side of your Bible or in your journals or on your hand. Just don't wash it because you want to remember it. But uh, we're going to look at the Spirit's story, how this, the Spirit writes this on our hearts. Secondly, we're going to look at Israel's history because Paul uses the history of Israel in the, in, in the wilderness as an example to show how the Old Covenant had glory, but it was fading. And the new covenant is so much more glorious. So we're going to look at a little, little glimpse of Israel's history. And then uh, lastly, we're going to see God's glory as it is witnessed in our lives through the life of Christ. So uh, jumping in, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you. You are our epistle. Everyone say epistle. Written in our hearts, known and read by all. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, that is the law, the old covenant, through the, commandment, the Ten Commandments, and the law in the Old Testament. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So in these opening verses, we see Paul talk about how the Spirit is writing this story um, on our hearts and on our lives. Now, Paul opens up by saying, do we need letters of commendation? Basically, during this time, when people traveled around, they needed base referrals and references and recommendations. It's kind of Paul's talking about um, letters of ordination, if you, if you will. And uh, Paul was being accused of not being a real minister of God. And so these other preachers and teachers and travelers would come with these flashy letters. In fact, uh, I can remember, you know, there's different denominations and different ways of being called into ministry and being ordained for ministry. But for me personally, I wasn't uh, ordained until later on in my life. And uh, it was because I was doing the work of the ministry. And uh, really an ordination for me is a ratification or a recognition of the call of God or the ministry of God already happening in a person's life where other people recognize that and confirm it by, uh, by praying and laying on of hands. But many people want the accreditation. They want the recognition. They want the paper on the wall to say, look, I have the authority. You, you do not need a letter of ordination to be a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't need any man to say, now you have the credentials. The Holy Spirit gives you and I the credentials. However, there is fruit in the lives of those who serve God. And Paul is saying, I don't need a letter because you are my letter. 
The lives that have been changed and transformed, the church that has been planted in Corinth, the growth and the fruit and the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the works uh, of the gifts of the Spirit and uh, the outreach and the evangelism, all of this is evident fruit of the lives that are being changed and of the ministry of God in and through me. So Paul says that you are the letter of God. That's a beautiful thing. Because in Christ, our lives are, are an open book for other people to see. In fact, Paul says that your lives are being read by all people. And you have to remember, Paul is traveling in various places. He's going all over the place. And uh, people are hearing about the church in Corinth and the ministry in Corinth and the lives and the, and the people of God in Corinth. And they're reading it. And that just really struck me personally because I have to ask myself, what type of messages am I giving to other people? That in Christ, we are an open book. That everybody can read and see and hear the, the messages. Now, if you're a parent, you know that you're always being read by your kids. And that's a very fearful thing. I don't know about fearful, but it's very intimidating. Or to be very conscious of the fact that there are little ones always watching you. Or maybe little bit bigger ones always watching you. And hearing the words that you speak, and unfortunately, I don't say and do all the right things, so I have to say, say I'm sorry and ask for forgiveness a lot. But we're constantly giving messages to other people in our lives. In fact, the Bible says that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So your words that you speak are an overflow of what you fill your heart with. And uh, there are many avenues in which to communicate. Uh, one of the main ways that people communicate today is through social media. And, uh, you know, from time to time and season to season, I've been engaged with and been a part of uh, social media. And I think it's, it's a neutral sort of platform to be able to connect. Those are the talking points, right? The talking points are, well, I can connect with friends and family. And I think it's great to be able to do that. But we also need to be careful about how we communicate and what we communicate say just for example on social media, but in uh, our relationships with other people or if you see Sherwood uh, driving his 1988 uh, Ford Ranger, which is a very humble vehicle. It keeps me nice and humble. Brown on brown on brown. It still goes after all these years. Like it's considered a classic. So, uh, and you see me cutting someone off or driving all crazy. What messages are we giving to other people? I'm just saying. That people are watching our lives as Christ followers. And uh, the message we want to give to other people is that this is the message of the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ is, is, is writing this in my life. And it's a, it's a, it's a message of, of life. Paul says, I don't need letters of recommendation because you are the letter that God is writing. And uh, this is a good work that God is doing. In fact, we also see the author of this letter. And the author is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit inscribes God's truth in our hearts and, and on our lives so that we can communicate the message of God to other people and uh, as they look at our lives and see. But really, the subject is life. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, Paul is going to go on to say at the end of this chapter, there is liberty and there is freedom. But the Spirit gives life, the epistle of grace that Paul is talking about here, the letter of grace tells the story of the gospel of life, that God's gospel is made alive in the lives of those who accept him and believe him. Now, Paul talks about how they have been ministers to the Lord Jesus Christ in Corinth to other people. And as a way to keep him 
from becoming prideful, he says, this type of ministry is not done in our own strength. It's not through our own ability. We are not sufficient for such things. In fact, later on in this letter, he's going to talk about how God's strength is sufficient even in his weakness because God gave him a thorn in the flesh. It was a metaphor for saying there was something that was painful and discomforting to him in his life that he could never overcome, but it was used by God to keep him humble in the ministry. And so Paul basically says here that we should never take credit for what God is doing in and through our lives. He's the one who is sufficient. In fact, the scripture says that apart from God, we can do nothing. But the beautiful thing is that God uses people as his pen or writing utensil to write living letters of grace in other people's lives. What messages are you living through our lives, but what messages are you writing into other people's lives? God uses. There's a, uh, I was talking with a friend recently. They don't live here anymore. But uh, he, I don't know how it came up, but we were, we were talking about something that I, I had said at a men's retreat years back. And uh, he said it stuck with him. And it's just a personal kind of philosophy that, that I have, but also a, a, a value that we have for people who serve and work here at the church. And uh, it's a saying that goes like this. Show up, filled up. Show up, filled up. So basically, as you serve the Lord, you need to be filled up by the Lord so that you can be poured out to the Lord and to other people. And, uh, you know, a 40-minute sermon on Sunday isn't going to fill you up. How do you get filled up? You get filled up by reading your Bible every day. You get filled up by seeking the Lord every day, by sitting at the feet of Jesus every day, by worshiping and connecting, all these sort of, by praying uh, every day, right? Uh, and so, but he, he told me he had a different perspective on that. He, he loves the garden. And uh, he was saying that, you know, if I were to spend hours or even weeks setting up a garden, and then I was to go get my wife, and say, honey, I want you to come see this beautiful garden. I want you to come see it. It's so beautiful. And then when she comes out to see, see the garden, he picks up the can. And he says, honey, look at how beautiful this can is. Isn't this picture so beautiful? Isn't it so sweet and just perfect? It's just so lovely. That would be foolish, right? Because the point of the garden is not the can or the picture. It's the beautiful life and the flowers that is a part of the garden, Right? But many times we want to lift up ourselves as the vessel and as the pitcher. Look at how beautiful I am. Look at how beautiful the minister is. Look at how beautiful and how great and how awesome the pastor or the preacher or the servant or the worker or the Christ follower or whatever it is. Paul is saying our sufficiency is not in ourselves. It's in Christ. It's not to point at the pitcher. It's to point at the person of Jesus Christ. That he, he's writing that story in our lives sufficiency of God. I love what Charles Spurgeon had to say when he was considering this verse. He says, our sufficiency is of God. Let us practically enjoy this truth. We are poor, leaking vessels. And the only way for us to keep full is to put our pitcher under the perpetual flow of boundless grace. I love that. It's a beautiful picture. To let the Lord continue to fill us and overflow us. Then, despite its leakage, the cup will always be full to the brim. Are you filled up and overflowing by the Lord Jesus Christ as he's writing his story and God's glory in your life? Sufficient, not in our own strength. Because if we come to God and say, okay, I got it from here. I got this figured out. You can take a break, God. 
I got this. Well, then we take matters into our own hands. And our sufficiency is in ourselves versus being dependent upon the Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul opens up these verses here in this chapter by talking about the story of God being written by the Spirit of God in our lives, sufficient in Christ. And now he's going to talk about these two different covenants in the Old Testament as well as the new covenant in Christ. But look at verse 7. He says, and this is just after finishing by saying that the letter kills but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stone, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? So we have the ministry of death. Who wants to sign up for that ministry? This is a great ministry. You should sign up for it. Ministry of death. That's a joke. You guys can laugh at that. But I thought all the different ministries, right, in the church, uh, we talked about them earlier. All the different ministries. The ministry of death. Would you like to sign up for that one? Yeah, please sign me up for it. No. We don't want to sign up for the ministry of death. We want to sign up for the ministry of life. And the Spirit gives life. Well, the ministry of death is basically a reference to the covenant. It uh, deals with the fact that the law reveals our sinful nature. It reveals the judgment of God. It reveals the condition of our heart before a holy God, and it also reveals the penalty. You know, the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And because of that, the wages or the penalty of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we have the ministry of death, as Paul talks about, through the ministry of Moses in the Old Testament. 4 verse 9, if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because the glory that excels. For if what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. So secondly, we see Paul give a history lesson on Israel's experience, showing the weakness through the old covenant. And uh, he talks about Moses with the children of Israel in the wilderness. You have to remember, go back and look, read about this story in the book of Exodus. You'll see that God miraculously delivered the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt and uh, provided for them with quail and, and, uh, and manna and water and uh, shade during the day with a, a cloud and a, a pillar of fire by night leading them and guiding them and protecting them. And then they find themselves at the foot of Mount Sinai. And at the top of Mount Sinai is this tremendous storm, huge dark clouds, pearls of thunder and lightning. And in fact, the Bible says that the mountain was shaking and God said from the cloud, come on up. And the children of Israel turned around and said, we're not going. Who wants to go? I don't know. Not me. Moses, you go. And the people said, I don't want to even get close to that. And Moses said, I'll go. And he went up into the presence of God. In fact, he was accompanied by his servant, by his attendant, Joshua. Now, Joshua stayed halfway up the mountain, and Moses went all the way up, concealed in the cloud, with the glory of the Lord, the weight and the glory and the presence of God. 
And uh, he was with the Lord. The Bible says that he was talking with God face to face. And that he was there for 40 days and 40 nights. And during that time, God took his finger, wrote on tablets of stone the Ten Commandments and said, here, give this to the people. This is my commandment to you. And uh, the Bible says that when Moses came down and was reunited with the people of God and was relaying this message to God's people, his face was shining. It was glory. Now, just a side note, there is something sweet about a person who spends time with the Lord Jesus Christ. When you get away with God, you can't help but see the brightness and uh, the joy. And the joy of God can be in the midst of a lot of pain and a lot of heartache and a lot of difficulty in your life, but because you've been with Jesus. In fact, uh, if you look at uh, the early church in the book of Acts, there were those who were spending time with Jesus and the other officials said, these guys are different. They're different because they have spent time with the Lord. And we can tell, we can see. There is something that takes place in our lives. There's a change that takes place in our lives. When we spend time with Jesus, there's a shining, there's a brightness, there's a glory of God. And uh, people see that. But that was the case for Moses. And he put a veil over his face. This uh, mountain and the tablets and the old covenant of the law was inscribed on stone. That's what Paul is saying. And he's contrasting the old covenant and the new covenant through the spirit of God. And Moses' ministry and Moses' face had this glossy glow uh, through his ministry. But unfortunately, it gradually grew dim. It faded. Now, we would naturally think that Moses put the veil over his face because people were mesmerized by it. And probably so. But Paul says that he put the veil over his face so that other people wouldn't see the fading glory of God. And uh, we're told that the Holy Spirit and the new covenant is not to eliminate the old covenant, but to fulfill it. And that the ministry of Christ is so much more glorious and so much more better because he has met the righteous demands of God and the holy requirements and judgment of the law. He's fulfilled it. He's not eliminated it. And so... This ministry of the old covenant and the ministry of the law, the law reveals the guilty, but it could not reverse the penalty. Sure, there was a temporary satisfaction through the sacrifice of animals, but there was only a revealing of our guilt before a holy God. It could not reverse the penalty or the effects, the judgment of God in our lives. That's why Jesus said on the cross when he uh, gave his life for you and I. It is finished. It's finished. It's complete. To meet the righteous demands of God through the sacrifice of his own life. But unfortunately, over time, the light of the old covenant lost its luster. There was no more a sheen and a shine to it. It faded. And so uh, this is the past ministry of Moses. However, there's a new ministry of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 12. Even so much more. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament. Because the veil... Oh, this is such, great. This is such a great verse. The veil is taken away in Christ. 
But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Everyone say liberty. Another word, or maybe in your translation says freedom. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So not only do we see the Spirit writing his story in our lives, the Spirit of the gospel of life, but we also see in contrast to the old covenant that there is a need for a new covenant and a new contract that God has made through Christ and through his sacrifice. In fact, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup. He took the bread. He said, take, eat, take, drink. This is the cup of the new covenant that I'm shedding my blood for the forgiveness and the remission of sin. And in this new covenant, it is sealed with the guarantee of the Holy Spirit uh, that we can have this hope and this promise as well as this assurance. But finally, we see that Paul talks about the glory of God that is witnessed through the life and the ministry of Christ. In fact, when you talk about a veil, you need to consider that something is hidden or concealed. Now, Moses had a veil over his face, but uh, we also see that there was a veil in the temple. And uh, this veil was very large. I think some estimates are 40 foot and, and bigger in the temple that separated the Holy of Holies, which was the inner sanctuary, the, the, the place where uh, the Ark of the Covenant was and where the presence of God dwelt. And there was only one person, the high priest, once a year who could go in to the Holy of Holies, and he had to go through all these rituals of cleaning and so on and so forth. The people did not have access to the presence and the holiness of God. They were restricted, and it was concealed and hidden by the veil. They had to stay on the outside. But Paul says that this veil has been taken away in Christ. Not only the veil to see the true glory of God. Do you remember when Moses was fed up with the children of Israel? I mean, here he is leading like two million people who are just constantly grumbling and complaining. Who would like that job? Not me, probably not. But constantly grumbling and complaining. And he says, I'm fed up with this. I'm not going to go any further. Unless God, you show me your glory, I'm not going to take another step. And unless your glory goes with us, this is futile. Why should we even do this? And God said, nobody can see my glory and live, but I will show you the backside of my glory. And he hid Moses in the corner of a rock, and he allowed, uh, he allowed Moses to see just the fading little back of God's glory, and that was just enough for him. But do you realize that Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? That in all the fullness of the Godhead, dwelt bodily in Jesus Christ, that we can see the full glory and the weight of God. But every time you see people encounter the glory of God, what happens? You just fall on your face. You just fall before the Lord. And when you see Christ, you see the glory of God. So the veil to see the glory of God is taken away in Christ, but also the veil that separated us from God. That's been removed because when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, there was a great earthquake and the veil was torn from top to bottom, signifying that God has done the work that we could never do 
in bridging the gap and the distance between sinful humanity and the holy God, enabling us now to come boldly into the throne of grace to obtain mercy and help in time of need. Jesus is our access into the presence of God. The new covenant removes all the barriers to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. We now can come into his presence. Paul says that since this glory was concealed in the veil, we now through Christ have clarity. We see in clear fashion the glory of God because acceptance of Christ takes away the distance from God. We're brought close to him. We can come into his presence. And Paul uses this analogy of the mirror, looking into the mirror. Now, when I look into the mirror nowadays, I just see somebody who's getting older, somebody who is getting more wrinkles, somebody whose beard is continuing to grow, uh, somebody who is losing a little bit more hair. And uh, it's not looking good. When I look in the mirror, it's, you're like, come on, Sherwood, it's not that bad. But no, I mean, I'm just using that as an example when we look in the mirror, as, Paul, as the scripture says, though our outward body is fading away, and it's all true in some form or fashion for all of us in this room, when we look in the mirror, our outward body is fading away. But that's not the point. The point is when we look in the mirror for the reflection of Jesus Christ to be seen more clear so that God can see the reflection of Jesus Christ In our lives, you know, there's a wonderful verse that encourages women that says that your beauty is not with adornment on the outward, but of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great value and worth to God. There are so many messages that tell us we have to look this way, we have to wear this thing, we have to buy this stuff, uh, we have to act this way. There's so many things that tell us how we gain value and worth from other people. But God is not looking at the outward appearance. He's not looking at the body that is fading away. He's looking at the story he's writing in your life right now. It's a story of glory and goodness and grace and the gospel of life and love and transformation. He says that we are being transformed. And Paul is saying that the letter of recommendation is the lives that are being transformed. And let me tell you, there is no greater joy to me as a minister to see lives being changed from week in to week out, hearing a message over and over and over again. It is great joy when Paul sees that it's starting to take root in people's lives and marriages are being healed. Did we not just sing that? where chains are being broken and people are being delivered from addiction and from pornography and and from heartache and bitterness and anger and rage and pain in the past, that lives are being transformed. Paul says, from glory to glory. It's one step at a time, friends. Are you getting a little bit brighter? A little bit more glorious? Well, you look in the mirror, you might see the outside and it's not, not looking all that great. But inwardly, Paul says, Our lives are being renewed day by day for his glory. And so this is what God is doing in our lives. There is no longer a veil. And you might be thinking, well, I can't access God because of what I've done. That's actually false. That's a lie from whatever, the world, the culture, some church denomination, whatever you heard that from. It's not true. It's not scriptural. You can have access to God through the person of Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, he is your access. He is the door. He is the one that enables you to have a close, intimate relationship with God. Your sins are forgiven. It's witnessed through Christ. And the liberty that we have 
the freedom. You see, the contrast is with the Old Testament that says the law, uh, the law controlled your behavior. They tried to control your behavior. The law showed you where you erred and where you sinned. And yet, here, the Spirit is freedom. There's liberty. There's joy. There's acceptance. You see, friendship with the Spirit brings freedom to the soul. There's freedom and liberty, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's no longer rules and regulations and religion. It's a relationship with God, access to Him, coming into His presence, not being distant. Not a long-distance relationship with God, but being brought near and close, the veil. There's also a third veil that I think is very important for us to consider, and that's a spiritual veil, a veil that is over our hearts, maybe a veil that is over our lives. In fact, we were praying earlier for all of us this morning as we fellowship and worship and read God's word, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what God would say to us. You're not here by chance. God has brought you here. And he wants to speak to you. He wants to connect with you. But oftentimes we miss the messages of God because our hearts are veiled. In fact, Paul says that's what's happening in the Jewish people even to this day. There's a veil. They don't see Jesus as the Messiah. They don't see Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promises. But what about your heart? Is there a veil, spiritual veil of hardness, a callous heart, a dark heart, a distant heart? Is there a veil over your eyes to see that the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God in your lives? I pray that God would break and dissolve the veil. He would tear it and perforate it and rip it to shreds because there is nothing keeping you from closeness with God. It's through Jesus Christ. And so Paul says here in closing that we look in a mirror and in that mirror, There is the glory of God through Christ. And that glory is being transformed from image to image and glory to glory. You see, the closer you look at Scripture and the closer you look at the Word of God, the clearer you'll look like Jesus. The more you'll look like Jesus. And I I pray that uh, that is what's happening in our lives. That we're looking more like Jesus when we see the reflection of God. So we're going to have our worship team come on up and lead us in a closing song, but don't tune out as we transition into some takeaways here. We've talked about how the Spirit is writing His story in our lives and that God uses people, but it's not in our strength and in our ability. It's the sufficiency of Christ in our lives. How about allowing God to use you to write letters of grace in other people's lives? You could ask God to use you as his tool to fill you with his spirit in God's hands to bless and to encourage other people. But oftentimes what prevents us from being used by God are barriers. And barriers could be lies that we say to ourselves or lies that we hear from other people. So we're encouraged in this chapter to remove those barriers. They've already been pulled away. They've already been torn down. We have closeness and access to remove any barriers that are keeping you from following Jesus, walking in step with the Holy Spirit, and allow God this week to convey his message through your life, to devote yourself to looking and transforming, not on the outward appearance, but on the inside, looking more like Jesus in the messages we're conveying to other people. 
Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for showing us your glory, albeit glimpses of it. Sometimes it's even a little bit of a shadow, and yet you're so good to us. You walk with us and you love us. And I pray for all of us here that we would be encouraged by the epistle you are writing in our lives. And we can be also encouraged that you're not done writing our story. You might have a couple bad chapters. And that bad chapter could be last night or last week. But God has a way of writing redemption in the stories of messes. Why? So that God can get all the glory when other people read your story. So Lord, I pray that you would be glorified in our lives. Help us to be those vessels, those pitchers, those, those water vessels that are perpetually under the flow of the boundless grace of God so that we can be poured out for you. And I pray, Lord, that you would remove any barriers right now in people's hearts and lives. You would, by the Spirit of God, you would help us see clearly your truth and your light and your love. And may Jesus be more evident in our lives. We love you, God. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. If this podcast has been an encouragement to you, or if you would like to know more about Jesus, please email us at info at questsd.com. We'd love to hear from you. God bless you.